Well, hey, good evening. It's good to see everyone. I'm grateful that you are here. Looking forward to our time together tonight. Uh, it is a little bit cooler than we're used to here in Houston, but God is faithful, and I'm praying that uh, we have a good time of worship and reflection on God's Word. Would you pray with me as we begin our time? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your mercy toward us in Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that just for these next few moments as we reflect upon your Word and we reflect upon Christ, Lord, that we would... Our, our hearts would be moved, our, uh, our, our presuppositions would be challenged where they need to be, Lord, and we would find comfort uh, where we need it, Lord. This has not been an easy year, uh, but Lord, you are still good, and so we trust you, and we praise you accordingly tonight. We love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' holy name we ask and pray, amen. Well, the man had been paralyzed for years, uh, not not many people really understood why he was paralyzed, but they didn't really need a cause. They just wanted someone who had answers. So the friends of this paralyzed man took him to the boat docks in a small town called Nazareth. About that time as they arrived, a local man stepped off of a boat and he approached these friends of the paralyzed man. And upon seeing their faith, the man from Nazareth told the paralyzed man, take heart, your sins are forgiven. How do you think that paralyzed man received that message? Do you think that that was what he was looking for? I mean, let's be honest. If you went to the emergency room later on and you were waiting for the doctor to come rushing into your room and he, he pulls the curtain back quickly and he says, hey, I have wonderful news to, for you today. Your sins are forgiven. Do you think that maybe there would be an inclination within your heart that says, you know, that's not why I came here. Thanks for the message, but I really have some other things that I need dealt with. I don't feel like having my sins forgiven is the priority right now. Tonight, during this brief meditation, I want to challenge the impulse that's within all of our hearts to downplay the priority of being saved from our sins. To be sure, I don't want to make light. Many of us have faced, are facing, or will face issues similar to those that the paralyzed man faced. I'm not in any way denying that we live in a broken world among broken people. Let's face it. We're celebrating Christmas in the long, dark night of a pandemic. This pandemic has crippled our world. For many of us, we're going to go to Christmas celebrations that look a lot different than they did in years past. Maybe a loved one will not be there because they passed away, or maybe they won't be able to be there because they have a compromised immune system. We've packed presents and hand sanitizer and masks. This is different. And so you may be here tonight thinking, you know, we've got real problems in the world, preacher man, and I just showed up because my family wants me here. But the reality is, you want to talk about sin while everything else is going on in the world. How can you talk about those types of things? It's kind of like what Jesus and these friends of the paralyzed man probably encountered, right? How can you talk about my sins being forgiven while I lie here on a mat? paralyzed. As we gather for this Christmas Eve service, 
I know the inclination is going to be to think about the desperate times that we live in, and I do not want to make light of that. We have gone through physical, mental, and emotional pain. We might even be wondering, why has Jesus not just eradicated this virus altogether? If this is how you're feeling tonight, or if you felt that way in the last few months, then I hope that you'll realize this message is for you tonight. The aim of this brief message is to remind us of why Jesus came to earth, why we celebrate Christmas. He came to bring a salvation that lasts. He came to bring a forgiveness that endures, a hope that does not disappoint. Jesus is not indifferent to our pain and our suffering. But oftentimes, his solution to the deep problems that we face in our life are much more permanent than we can imagine in the moment. So for our meditation tonight, I'm going to read a small portion of scripture out of Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 21, specifically looking at verse 21. You don't have to have your Bible, you can just listen. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she found that she was pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But he considered this. As an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Much like the world that we live in, Jesus was born into a broken world, a sin-sick world, full of disease, division, and distress. Imagine it. The political leaders were corrupt. The religious establishment took advantage of the poor and the oppressed, abusing their authority. The prophet Isaiah described the situation as a people who lived in darkness. Now, for us, Living in darkness doesn't seem like that bad of a problem because we have all these nice lights and we can turn on the electricity anytime that we want to. But the thought of dwelling in a place where you have no light was one that would have provoked much fear and anxiety within this first century mind. They lived in darkness. Jesus was born into this world and according to God's word, his mission would be to save his people from their sins. In fact, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves or the Lord saves. And so every time his name was spoken, it was bearing witness to the testimony of what he was here to do, what he was going to accomplish. He would save his people from their sins. You go, well, who are his people? Jesus' people are those that call upon his name, that put their trust in his name as we see in Joel 2. But you know what's interesting? When Jesus came into the world as the Messiah, as the anointed one of God. Some people were looking for strong military leaders that would overthrow the Roman oppressors. Others were looking for savvy political leaders that could unify the nation of Israel with the people behind a common vision for the nation. Others, they kind of wanted something more like a magician. You know, It'd be nice to have someone around that can make the bread multiply and the fish never run out. And it's never bad to have someone around that can turn water into wine, right? But what these people wanted was not what they desperately needed. 
Sure, they wanted a physician that could heal their ailments, but God being fully and completely aware of everything that people wanted or perceived that they desperately needed, God did not send a politician into the world. He did not send a magician. He did not send a military leader. He did not send a doctor who's concerned primarily with the physical. In his infinite wisdom, he sent his son Jesus, the Messiah, into the world to save people from their sins. What that means is there's really only two conclusions that we can come to. The first conclusion is, is that God just got it wrong. He saw the need and he sent what the people didn't need or want and, and he really messed up that time. Or, and this is the one that I would prefer you to see, or God knew exactly what the people needed. He knew it better than they knew themselves. God did not fail. Rather, God knew that our greatest issue was not governmental, it was not political, it was not financial, and it was not medical. It was deeply and fundamentally spiritual. God knew that governments rise and fall at his command. Politicians are voted in and out of office. Finances ebb and flow with the economy. And medically, even the healthiest people are going to die one day. God the Father sent Jesus Christ the Son to do something far greater than the people could ever ask, think, or imagine. He sent his Son into the world to save sinners from the sin that threatens to alienate them from God for all eternity. In other words, God in Christ came near that we might live under the reign not of an earthly king, but the reign of an everlasting king whose kingdom will know no end. God in Christ came near that we might enjoy the riches not of finances, but of his grace toward us, which are worth more than any good that this world could ever provide us. God in Christ came near not to delay our death by a few decades, but ultimately to completely deliver us from death through resurrection. And at the core of everything God in Christ has done is this promise. You shall call his name Jesus and he will save his people from their sins. You see, Jesus' answer to the paralyzed man regarding the forgiveness of his sins, it was not a sign of his indifference to the man's suffering. In just a few verses later on in Matthew 9, Jesus is in fact going to tell the man, rise up, take your mat, and go home and walk. Jesus is going to deal with the temporal situation that he finds himself in. He is not indifferent toward our pain. He sees our tears. He knows our sorrows. Yet when he seeks to heal, he's healing on a more deeper, more fundamental level than we can ever imagine. So when Jesus comes to the man and says, listen, I see this great faith. I see that they've brought you in. Son, I've got great news for you. Your sins are forgiven. It is not because he does not love the man, but because he loves the man that he prioritizes the man's greatest needs, which is not to be able to walk in this temporal life, but rather that he would walk into the kingdom of God for all eternity by faith. Jesus then goes on in his kindness to say, stand up, roll that bed up and go home. 
but he has a lesson that he wants to teach these religious leaders that were surrounding him. When Jesus told them, your sins are forgiven, it scandalized the righteous people. Righteous people don't like the thought of sinful people being forgiven. You know why? Because righteous people like to think themselves better than everyone else. And Jesus had news for them. You're all unrighteous. You're all in need of the type of healing that this man needed. Yeah, you may think that for some reason he's paralyzed because of something his parents did or maybe something he did and it's the judgment of God. But in reality, we're all spiritual cripples, paralyzed by our sin and that our greatest need is the one who heals hearts to speak into ours and say, Son, I know you got a lot on your mind, and I know you're dealing with a lot that's really painful, but I've got good news. You're forgiven. You will walk and you will dwell with me forever. And oh, by the way, I can also handle those other things. In his mercy, he comes to heal the sick, to give sight to the blind, to restore the outcast. But fundamentally, he does that because he wants us to know that he can do that to us spiritually. That's what Jesus goes on to tell the religious leaders. He says, listen, what is harder to say? Your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk. But so you would know that I have the authority to forgive sins, I make the lame walk. We too need to hear this message tonight. We do not need to allow the outward circumstances that we are facing, real as they may be, to distract us from the deeper spiritual needs that we're actually facing. A Savior who only addresses the outward issues and ailments that we are dealing with is not a sufficient Savior because our problems go much deeper than the things that we perceive. By nature and by choice, we are rebels who are guilty before God and need to be saved from our sin. And God and his love and kindness came down to do that. You may say, why do I need to be saved from my sin? What's the big deal if everyone's a sinner? See, Scripture tells us that the payment for our sin, what we are owed because of our rebellion against God, is death. And that all of us owe this debt on account of our sin against God. We deserve to pay the debt of our sin, which is death. And yet the beauty is, is this child that was born came and he paid the debt for us. A child that was born that lived in the shadow of death his whole life. While we deserve to be in his place, he took ours. He took ours under the wrath of God to set us free because he loved us. He wanted to see us healed. He wanted to see us made whole. If only we would turn from our sins and trust in him. This is why Jesus was born. This is the salvation that we so desperately need. God is not indifferent toward your suffering today. He's not indifferent toward the struggle. He's just reminding us that those are not the things that most fundamentally dictate our future and our eternity. He came to deal with our greatest problem, our alienation from God. And this child that was born 2,000 years ago that grew up and became a man and lived in perfect obedience to the law and died a sinner's death, on a cross, is still receiving the sick. 
Maybe your friends brought you here today. Maybe you came and didn't recognize you're the paralyzed man, the woman on the mat. And what you desperately need to hear tonight is your sins are forgiven. I have good news. Anyone that calls upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Their sins will be forgiven. Have you received this gift? Would you pray with me tonight? As you reflect on the message this week, feel free to reach out to our staff by emailing care at copperfieldchurch.com. We would love to hear from you and pray for you. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and our other podcast, Equip for Good. Thanks for listening.